Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler, the pastor of Faith Christian Center. Thanks for tuning in today. We believe today's message is going to help you live this lifestyle of faith. It's going to empower you to live a life that makes Jesus famous wherever you go. Open up your heart. We know God has something special just for you. And we believe that as you listen to today's message, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up. I'll talk to you today at the end of our broadcast. Joel chapter 2. You know, as we laid the foundation for the series in the last two Wednesday nights, I shared messages I shared with our church family in Zimbabwe and South Africa in August, and it's laying the foundation of some further places where we're going to go in this series. So let's go to Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2. We'll start at verse 21, and as you get to Joel chapter 2, when this message was in my heart and was preparing it, the Lord reminded me of a book that I wrote actually over five years ago, maybe around five years ago now, called Biblical Heroes. And in this book, it's just a creative, imaginative way of looking at characters from the Bible and how God could speak to us through their lives. And it's going to connect to what I'm going to talk about tonight. And so I, well, a lot of you who are watching already have the copy, got it years ago. But for those of you watching don't have it, I wanted to give it to you free tonight. And so if you go on Apple Books, you know, the iTunes version of the Apple Bookstore, you have to search Biblical Heroes, you can search my name, and you'll be able to find that book free for tonight only. You'll be able to download it for free. Go into Apple Books, the iTunes versions of the Apple Bookstore, and you search Biblical Heroes, and you'll be able to download that book for free. I know a lot of people like to use Amazon. Amazon won't let me do it for free as of right now because I've been on multiple platforms. But if you want to get the book for free, you can go to Apple Books today and you'll be able to download it as soon as this experience is over. So let's go to Joel chapter two and I'll tell you how that connects in a moment. Joel chapter two. We're going to look at verse 21. And one of the things we covered in the last two weeks is both the Old and New Testament call God the God of peace. His Old Testament name, Jehovah Shalom, as well as his New Testament name, the God of peace. He is called that in both Testaments. In the New Testament, the word peace, of course, means peace, harmony, security, safety, prosperity, felicity, which is intense happiness, and tranquility. It's peace, harmony, security, safety, prosperity, felicity, intense happiness. It's tranquility. Old Testament, the word peace means completeness, peace, health, prosperity, safety, tranquility, the peace that comes from being whole. It's nothing missing and nothing broken. So Joel chapter 2 verse 21, fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice for the Lord will do great things. Skip down to verse 23. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. And the floor shall be full of wheat, and the fat shall overflow with wine and oil. And I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten, the cankerworm, the caterpillar, the palmer, my great army, which I sent among you and you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that has dealt wondrously with you. My people shall never be ashamed. So this word for restore comes from the Hebrew word shalom. Remember the Hebrew word for peace that we looked at just a moment ago is shalom. This word for restore means to be at peace, to be complete, to live in peace, to make whole, to make compensation, to make recompense, to reward, to complete, to perform. Once again, it means to be at peace. It means to be complete. It means to live in peace. It means to make whole. It means to make compensation 
or recompense. It means to reward, to complete, and to perform. See, God is in the restoration business. And when we think of God as the God of peace, we must think of him as the God of restoration. If you have not been restored, then you're not whole. God wants you to have nothing missing, nothing broken, and wholeness in every single area of your life. God wants you whole. God wants you restored. And so one of the things we did in the last couple of weeks, and you know, we looked at it on New Year's Eve, we had eight different definitions for restore that we're looking at. And so we can do just a brief review before we get into where we're going today. Definition number one, and I'm going to read through this one since we've looked at it for a few weeks now. Restore means to return to a person as a specific thing which he has lost, or which has been taken from him and unjustly detained. Re-restore lost or stolen goods to the owner. It means to make restitution or satisfaction for a thing taken by returning something else or something of different value. It means to replace, to return as a person or a thing to a former place. Number three, it means to bring back or recover from lapse, degeneracy, declension, or ruin to its former state. Number four, to heal, to cure, to recover from disease. Number five, to repair, to rebuild, as to restore and to build Jerusalem. Number six, to revive, to resuscitate, to bring back to life. Number seven, to return or bring back after absence. Number eight, to renew or reestablish after interruption as peace is restored. And so we see all these different definitions of restore. And God is interested in restoring things in your life, restoring and turning situations around for you. But one of the things we see throughout the scriptures is God is interested in restoring people. God is interested in restoring people. And there's many different ways you can study the Bible, you know, and even teach from how you study it. You know, we just did our first by verse study of the book of Colossians. So you can study, you know, verse by verse. You can study topically. You can study, you know, by chapter or by passage, you know, by book. But one of the things we're going to do for uh, next number of midweeks, we're going to study characters of the Bible. And today we're going to talk about the restoration of Peter. The restoration of Peter. That's why I mentioned the book Biblical Heroes, because in the third portion of the book, you know, I call the book the third portion of the tragedies. And if you read, you see why and you understand why. But there's some area after we talk about the tragedies, we talk about restoration and we look at the characters of Peter, Jonah and Samson. And those are some of the people we're going to talk about midweek in the next few weeks. And today we'll take time to talk about Peter. So once again, I mentioned the books. I put it for free on Apple Books. If you want it for the other prices, it's on Amazon and a few other places. But if you don't have the book, go to Apple and download it. It's called Biblical Heroes Volume 1. So let's get into the restoration of Peter. To understand how he was restored, you first have to understand how he was called. A lot of us are familiar with Peter denying and Peter falling. But to understand restoration, you have to understand where they were before, how they fell, why they fell, and why they are the way they are now. So go with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. God is interested in restoring people. And we're going to see the heart of God in the restoration of Peter. John chapter 1, verse 35. Let's look how when Peter met Jesus. Again, the next day after John, John the Baptist stood and took and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he says, behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and said, what, do you, what seek you? What are you looking for? 
They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to be interpreted, Master, teacher, where do you live? And he said unto them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he dwelt, and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother, Simon, and said unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. You know, we can talk and we all are familiar with the legacy Peter had, the ministry of Peter. But remember, look who brought Peter to Jesus, Andrew. So Andrew shares credit in everything Peter's ministry achieves because he brought Peter to Jesus. That's why it's so important to bring people to church, to invite people to the faith experience online, in person or online. It's important because who knows what God will do in their life through that encounter during the experience. And not only will their life be transformed, but their family will be impacted, their circle will be impacted. And who knows what God will call them to do. So it's important to invite people to experience. It's important to share. It's important to invite people to church. It's important to tell others about Jesus and bring them closer to them because it has a ripple effect. And doesn't just affect your life, it affects many others' lives. So yes, thank God for Peter, but thank God for Andrew bringing Peter to Jesus. Now let's go to Luke chapter 4. So we see here in John chapter 1 that Jesus and Peter have met. Now a lot of times when we read through the Gospels, if we don't look at them all together, you think, okay, this is as, as soon as he met him, this is when he started hanging around with Jesus full time, 24-7. Actually, not yet. They knew each other. He began to learn from Jesus, but he's not with Jesus on a, re a full-time, regular basis yet. Go to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 38. Luke chapter 4, verse 38. So Jesus finished ministering in the synagogue and casting out an unclean spirit. And as he, Jesus, arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. So one of the things we learn about Simon Peter, he lived right next to the synagogue. You know, some scholars and studies believe it's right was joined to the synagogue. And so if your house was close to the synagogue, it spoke of how much money you have, that you could afford a house right there next to the location that was central to Jewish life. It is a sizable house. It is a nice house. And we found out later that Simon Peter is a businessman, and we'll look into that in a moment. And it said, he rose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. And Simon's wife's mother, his mother-in-law, was taken with a great fever, and they besought him for her. And he, Jesus, stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she arose and ministered unto them. Now when the sun was setting, all, they that, had, all that had any sick with diverse diseases brought them unto him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And the devils also came out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he rebuking them, suffered them not to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed, went into a desert place. So, of course, the Sabbath ends in the evening. And so after the Sabbath had ended, Jesus goes out and he's on Peter's doorstep. He's in front of Peter's house and he ministers to almost the entire city. All the people who brought the sick and the demon possessed. He's on Peter's doorstep. So, you know, Peter's watching. You know, Peter's wife is watching. You know, Peter's wife's mom is watching. Peter's whole family is there watching Jesus do the miraculous again and again. Every single person was healed. Every single person who had a demon was delivered. And this is happening on Peter's 
doorstep. So imagine all the things Peter is seeing right in front of his house. And so it says, and when it was day, he departed and went into a desert place. So when the night was over, everybody else is asleep. Jesus walks, wakes up early and he goes to a deserted place. And when people are looking for him, they came unto him and stayed that he should not depart from them. So one of the things when you look at the other gospels, what you see is that Peter and the other disciples and the people who were traveling with Jesus went to find Jesus. And they say, hey, what are you doing here? Everybody is looking for you. Look, if you just had a revival on Peter's porch and the whole city showed up on day one, most people think, well, let's stay there for a long period of time. But Jesus departed to pray to get the Father's plan. And you see that in Jesus' response. And he said, so I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore I am sent. And he preached in the synagogues of Galilee. He says, I'm not supposed to stay in this one place. I have to keep going. So we see it, all these things happen on Peter's doorstep. The synagogue next to Peter's house. The Peter's doorstep. We see how God moved in a great way. And this is impacting Peter. You know what has impacted you. If on your doorstep right now, the Jesus was doing miracles. Imagine how you would never forget that. Remember, we're talking about the restoration of Peter. Now, chapter 5, verse 1. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing the nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's. Notice there's multiple ships, but he enters to Simon Peter's ship and asked him that he would thrust out a little from the land. He sat down and taught the people out of the ship. You know, the water provided great acoustics. It provided Jesus a little space. And Simon, Peter, had been working all night fishing. And so while he's cleaning his nets, Jesus is teaching from the boat. So a lot of times we think about, you know, Jesus just meets Peter here. No, they already knew each other. He met him when Andrew brought him. Jesus has been to Peter's house. Jesus has performed miracles on Peter's doorstep. They are very well acquainted with each other now. So this wasn't just a random chance encounter. Jesus finding a random fisherman. Jesus knew Simon Peter and Simon Peter knew Jesus. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now, when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let, your, let down your nets for a drought. Simon answered and said unto him, teacher, that's what the word master means. We have toiled all night and have caught nothing. So remember, P Peter is an expert businessman. You'll see it here in the other gospel translation of the story. He not only did he have this business, he also has business partner, James and John. And they have other ships in the area. They have this whole business organization in the Sea of Galilee. Peter is a professional fisherman. He knows that lake. He knows the water. He knows the habits of the fish. And he says, we worked all night and caught nothing. And notice how they're catching fish. They throw down a net and bring it up. So if you throw down a net, this is clear day. The water is clear. The fish can see a net coming. What fish are going to swim into a net on a clear day, especially if you couldn't catch fish the entire night before? But he says, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Jesus said nets. Peter says the net or a net. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. Now, a lot of times people preach, oh, yeah, you got a net breaking load of fish like it's a really good thing. Well, think about it a little bit more. What does fish represent to Peter? Money. Fish represents money to Peter. Peter is a businessman. So every fish that swims out, every fish 
that leaves that net is money he lost. You see, the thing is, the net, and some people believe, and I believe it too, that this net wasn't one of the good nets because it takes so many hours to clean nets, and Peter didn't want to do that again. He's been up all night. It didn't work. He's tired. He's hungry. He wants to go home. But he's like, I'll throw out a net. I'm going to humor Jesus. I'm going to throw out a net. And so he probably throws out the old raggedy net. And that net broke. He still caught some. But notice, this is partial obedience. And the partial obedience cost him. He was still blessed. You see, you have to understand, God will bless you as far as he can. So some people say, well, they're not doing anything right. They still got blessed. You have to understand the heart of God. God wants to bless you. God wants to bless you more than you want to be blessed. God wants to do good things in your life more than you want to receive good things. And so God is out to bless you as much as he can. And sometimes what you do can block the blessings from hitting uh, your life in a full measure. So God is blessing him as far as he can. And that's why he has this net breaking load of fish. And they beckoned unto their partners. Once again, they had partners as a, a larger business, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that when they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Why did he say fall at Jesus' knees? It's very simple. Jesus' feet was covered in fish. He couldn't fall at his feet. There were so many fish, he only could fall at his knee. So think about the distance from the top of your foot to your knee, how, how long that is. That's how many fish were in that boat and filling the other boat. So they were about to sink on the shore. That's how many fish they caught. Now he says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now this is interesting because now we know Peter's life. This is not the first time we saw a miracle. He saw Jesus heal the sick. He saw Jesus heal his mother-in-law. He saw Jesus heal all the people on his doorstep. He saw Jesus cast out devils. He's he seen Jesus do all these miraculous things. Why would Peter say now, depart from me, I am a sinful man, oh Lord? Because he understood, he's beginning to understand more and more who Jesus is. And he understands to some extent that that net he threw out wasn't the best, wasn't the will of God. You see, one of the things that we're taught to Jews and Peter's raised a Jew, he understands the law that you're not supposed to present to God a unworthy sacrifice or a blemished sacrifice. And that net was a blemished sacrifice. And he understood what he did. And so he understanding that he didn't receive God's best. He didn't give God his best. Now, notice what it says here. For he was astonished and all that were with him at the drought of fishes, which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, hey, don't be afraid. From here on, you're catching people. So just like you caught all these fish, to, it's too many for people to handle. Going forward that you're going to catch people. You're going to be fishers of men. The call of Peter. He, so Jesus has spoken over Peter. He says, you're a rock. Now he says, you're going to catch people in the boatloads. Let's go a little bit further looking at Peter. Go to chapter 6, verse 12. Let's look more specifically at the call of Peter. And it came to pass in those days that he, Jesus, went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles, Simon, who he also named Peter. So we see Jesus calling his twelve 
apostles. There's many disciples. There's many people that travel with Jesus. But now he's calling out the 12 apostles who God told him to choose. Now, we see something specific about this call, but Mark makes it a little bit clearer. Let's go to Mark chapter 3. Now, one of the things I want you to know about Mark, of course, is written by Mark, who's also known as John Mark in the scriptures. And one of the things you understand about Mark, of course, he was trained by Barnabas. He was Barnabas' nephew, his family. That family was very integral to the early church. They had a big role in the days of Jesus. They had a big role in the book of Acts, the behind the scenes, but they, their family, the house is there. And so Mark grew up as a young man. He saw the ministry of Jesus. He was really young. But then even when he began into the ministry, you know, Barnabas was taking him and training him. And we know about the story of Barnabas and Paul and the different things. But different later, Mark became the assistant and the secretary to Peter. And so he worked with Peter and eventually worked with Paul again. But you have to understand, when you read the gospel of Mark, what you're reading are the accounts from Peter. You know, Matthew, it's Matthew was there. It's his perspective. John, John was there. His perspective. Luke was an investigative reporter. He went and conducted interviews. And that's how you get what Luke is saying. And Mark, Mark is writing down the stories that Peter shared with him. And so look what it says in Mark chapter three, verse 13. And he, Jesus, goes up into a mountain and calls unto them whom he would. And they came unto him and he ordained 12. Notice what he called and ordained them to do, that they should be with him and that they might send and that he might send them forth and to have power, send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. And Simon, he names, he surnamed Peter and James and John, then it lists the rest. So notice the order, call them that they would be with him, call them to preach, call them to heal, call them to cast out devils. The number one call is always to be with Jesus. It doesn't matter what God has called you to do. It doesn't matter the anointing on your life, the gifting on your life. The number one call is always to be with Jesus. Just like it was for Peter, it applies to us. Our number one call is to be with Jesus. So now let's go to Matthew 16. Let's look a little bit more about Peter's life. One of the things we know is that Peter becomes one of the inner three of Peter, James, and John. They were that inner circle of disciples who there were times when Jesus would do certain things. He would tell everybody else to leave, but he kept those three there. When he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, those three were there. When Jesus went to the Mount of Transfiguration, he was transfigured before them. And Moses and Elijah appeared. Peter, James, and John were there. So we see the leadership roles coming out in their lives. And Peter is the lead disciple. Peter's in charge of the group. Peter, by some scholars' uh, opinion and study, he is the oldest disciple, while John is the youngest disciple. And we see that Jesus would pair the apostles two by two, and he would send them out two by two. That was Jesus' strategy. And we see Peter and John kept that up. So that's why I read in the book of Acts, Peter and John were going places. And so in the wisdom of Jesus, he said, well, mate, it just makes sense for the oldest to be with the youngest. They can watch out for each other. And so when you see Matthew 16, is another familiar story of Peter. Mark 16, 13. And when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they, and they said, Some say that you are John the Baptist, some Elijah, another Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And that's very interesting. So Jesus is having this public relations meeting with this group. Hey, what are people saying? And who are they saying that I am? And all those people they just named were dead. John the Baptist had been killed already. Elijah has been dead for hundreds of years. Jeremiah has been dead for hundreds of years. 
And it says, or one of the prophets. All those other prophets have been dead for hundreds of years. So they're all saying that, you know, yeah, Jesus is this dead guy who got raised from the dead. And he's walking around. That is the popular opinion about Jesus from the dead. That's why you can't always follow popular opinions, because sometimes it makes no sense. And sometimes it has no biblical basis. And so there are people who are saying, yeah, he's John the Baptist reincarnated. He came back and now he called himself Jesus. No, don't follow popular opinion. Follow the word of God. And Jesus said unto them, but whom do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, which means you are the anointed one. Christ is not Jesus' last name. That Christ means the anointed one and his anointing. So he says, you are the anointed one. You have the anointing. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Barjona means son of John. Son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed it unto you. You didn't hear this from other people. Someone else didn't tell you. You're not basing what you heard about the popular opinion of the day. But my father who was in heaven. So Peter had this prayer life he developed. And in his spending time with the father, the father revealed to him exactly who Jesus is. That's how he can make the statement. And I say unto you that you are Peter, which means small rock. And upon this rock, what is this word rock means large rock, mega rock. So there's two different rock. Peter, yeah, you're a rock. But I'm not building my church on you. I'm going to build my church, my ecclesia, my called out ones on this large rock. What is a large rock? What Peter said, the rock of revelation, the rock of who Jesus is. The church is not built on people's personality. The church is built on the revelation of who Jesus is. He is the anointed one. He is the son of the living God. So upon this rock, this rock of revelation, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. One thing you can count on in these days when it seems like everything is going crazy and everything is changing every single day. One thing you can count on is Jesus building his church. In the midst of all these times, Jesus building his church. While people are some only meeting online, Jesus is still building his church. While some people are back in the building, Jesus is still building his church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Hell cannot stop us. As I preached several times before, we talked about our Church in the Wild series. Hell's gates, are not, they're not moving. When's the last time you saw some gates move? It's the church advancing, pushing back the gates of hell, resisting the enemy and the enemy fleeing. This is what Jesus is up to. He's building strong churches. He's building the body of Christ and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. We are the called out ones. And it says, and I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So we see this great moment for Peter. He has this revelation from God. And of course, Jesus corrects Peter. Jesus corrects all the disciples. All the disciples had different issues, different personalities. And you read over the gospels of three years, he was with them, things he was correct. And says, now nah, you guys missed that or different things. But one of the things we know about Peter's personality is that He's sometimes the first one to speak up. Let's go to Luke chapter 22. Luke 22. Luke 22. They're at the Last Supper. And as they're sitting at the table and Jesus is handling strife, which he's done a couple times with his group of disciples, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desire to have you that he may sift you as wheat. And so that's the process. He wants to break Simon down. But I have prayed for you. And we'll talk about that a little bit at the end. You know, Pastor Kylie talked a little bit about her message this past Sunday, praying for prodigals. 
Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. Satan has desired. This is his plan. And one of the things we talked about a couple weeks ago in our The Most Dangerous and Damning Thing in the World series, talking about how Satan was looking to get in that inner 12 so he can get to Jesus. We saw how he got to Judas through offense and injected the idea of betrayal in his heart because Judas opened the door by being offended. But he's also after Peter. He understands Peter is a leader. And if he can take down Peter, he can affect the rest of the apostles. He's actively trying to stop what Jesus is doing. And he is desiring, he wants, his plan is to sift Peter as wheat to make him fall. But Jesus said, I prayed for you. Yeah, something is ahead of you. It's heading your way, but I already took care of it in prayer. And he says, I prayed for you that your faith fail not. But when you are, and when you are converted or when you turn again, strengthen your brethren. So he's like, I've already handled it. I prayed about it. I took care of it. When you're turning again, here's my job for you. Strengthen your brothers. But notice how Peter responds. And he said, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell you, Peter, that the cock shall crow this day before you shall, before you shall thrice deny that you know me. Just before this rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. Peter doesn't believe it. He says, no, there's no way that's going to happen. We know the story. We know they leave here, you know, they finish dinner, they sing a hymn, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is praying, Peter and the others fall asleep because they're tired, and, you know, the high priest servant and the guards and Judas come to take Jesus, and Peter is one of the people who had a sword, because you read the story that Jesus asked if they had a sword, and he said, oh, we have two, he says, that's enough, and so two of the disciples were armed, and Peter swings at uh, Malchus and he cuts off his ear. Now, you don't aim for people's ears when you're fighting. Peter just either had bad aim or he missed and he ended up cutting up Malchus's ear off and Jesus healed Malchus's ear. Supernatural display of the power of God. Now, when we go through Jesus being arrested, let's skip down to verse 54. Verse 54. Then took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed afar off. And so one of the things when we study out, we know everybody else ran away except John and Peter. They followed as closely could, but far off so they wouldn't be caught. And so one of the things you see that Peter got into certain places where he could see what was going on because John's family was well known to the high priest. So John came from a place of privilege and, you know, they opened the doors for John. And because Peter was with John, Peter got a chance to go in. And so you see that they're following Jesus from afar off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him, meaning with Jesus. And he, and he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You are also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. 59. And about the space of one hour after another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what you said. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock grew. And the, Lord, and the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, you shall deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Notice how far and how quickly Peter fell from being the lead disciple the one who had the revelation, the one who was walking closely with Jesus, 
you know, give Peter credit. At least he was there. John was there. Peter and John was there. The other nine had left, and we know what already happened to Judas. At least Peter was there. But when people began asking and associating, and the pressure came, he fell. Satan's plan for Peter was working. But remember what Jesus said, I prayed for you. So Peter remembers. And imagine the drama of this moment. That after Peter denies for that third time, the rooster crows. Jesus, in an area far off, but can still Peter, looks towards Peter. And Peter looks towards Jesus. And he remembered. Imagine their eyes connecting. Imagine the drama and the weight of that moment. And Peter realizing what he did. And he left and wept bitterly. Now we know that's not the end of the story. We know, yes, Jesus is going to suffer for us. He's going to beat him for us. We know by his stripes we are healed. We know the crown of thorns will be placed in his skull. We know he's going to be mocked and humiliated and shamed. He's going to bear our shame. He's going to bear our sin. He's going to bear our iniquity. He's going to bear the curse for us. And we know on the third day, God is going to raise him from the dead. So let's get to Mark 16. Mark 16. Verse 6, we know the women went to the tomb first. And so verse 5, and entering to the sepulchre, they saw a young man, an angel, sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were afraid. And he said unto them, Be not afraid. You see Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter that he goes before you into Galilee. There you shall see him as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher, for they trembled and were amazed. For neither said they anything to any, for they were afraid. Now, notice this message that comes from the angel. It's very specific. You tell all the disciples and you tell Peter. Now, this is part of Peter's restoration process. Now, notice it says, Peter, you're going to see him and all the disciples, you're going to see him. One of the things you realize from this there's going to be multiple appearances of Jesus. There are several appearances of Jesus, resurrection appearances of Jesus. And we have a lot of them recorded. We don't have all of them recorded, but the ones we can rely on the, that we know about and because we see from Scripture, we see them. But there are some appearances of Jesus that are referenced in Scripture, but it doesn't tell you the details. So one of the things we see here is Jesus said, I'm going to see Peter. You might think, well, why is Jesus even interested? Peter, when the pressure came, denied Jesus. God has restoration on his mind. And he wants to restore people. Go to Luke 24. So we know the women run back to where the disciples are hiding. And they come to tell them, Luke 24, verse 12. And they told them the words and they're so excited. And by this time, the women have seen Jesus and they're trying to say what the angels said. They saw multiple angels. It's not just one angel. There's multiple angels that they saw and talked to. Then they saw Jesus and they're so excited and beside themselves, they go back and they're trying to explain it to Peter and the disciples. Now, give them credit because if this all happened to you, you would you may not know how to describe and put it all in words. We have the benefit of 2000 years later reading this to kind of understand what happened, but they weren't expecting. They caught them all off guard. They're so excited. They don't even know what to think about it. And they're telling the disciples. But notice what happens. You see, chapter 24, verse 12. 
Then arose Peter and ran unto the sepulchre, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves and departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. So when Peter heard the news, he ran to the tomb. You know, John gives us a little bit more information and even a humorous way. Go to John chapter 20. We're looking at the restoration of Peter. John chapter 20, verse 3. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, talking about John, that's how he referred to himself, did outrun Peter. Yeah, we said, how do you know that? Read verse 4. Because they came to sepulchre, so they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to sepulchre. Notice the emphasis. He said, I'm faster than Peter. I got there first. And he stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he went not in. Then comes Simon Peter following him, once again saying, yeah, Peter's kind of slow. Following him and went into the sepulcher and see if the linen clothes lying there. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also the other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher. I love John's humor here. And he saw and believed, for as yet they knew not the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again into their own home. Now, notice this, they go back to their own home. And as of now, neither John nor Peter has seen Jesus, but John is one of the first to believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead. Peter leaves wondering. But something happens between the next recorded appearance of Jesus that we're all familiar with when he appears to the 11 and all the disciples were gathered there. Something happens. Go back to Luke 24 and look at verse 34. One of the things we know is Jesus appears to two on the road to Emmaus. They walk into the city of Emmaus and they're talking to other disciples of Jesus. And they're talking about things that went on and Jesus appears with them. They realize it's Jesus. And he's talking to them. They say, well, this is what's going on. Because he said, why are you guys so sad? And he began to say, well, are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's going on? And they fill him in. And Jesus says, well, doesn't the scripture says? And he taught them. All the prophets, what the scriptures said about them. And then he gets to a place and they, Jesus would keep walking by, but they're concerned, hey, no, stay with us for the night, eat with us. And so when they sat down together, what happened? Jesus took the bread, he broke it and blessed it. And they remembered. Their eyes were open when Jesus released the blessing and gave thanks like he did among them so many times. And Jesus vanished from their eyes. And they realized this was Jesus the whole time. Did our hearts burn within us when he shared with us the scriptures? And immediately they ran out to where the other disciples were hiding. And they began to tell them, we have seen the Lord. But notice what they say. Verse 34. Saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. So sometime between he, Peter and John leaving the tomb and those to the road to Emmaus that afternoon and this evening appearance of Jesus is about to happen now, Jesus personally appeared to Peter and had a private conversation with Peter. Paul also references it. Go to with me for a moment. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Verse four, and that he, Jesus, was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures and he was seen of Cephas, this is Peter, then of the 12th. So before the whole 12 got to see Jesus, Peter did. And Peter and Jesus had a private conversation that is not recorded in scripture, but because we know the heart of God, we know what it was about. It was Jesus loving Peter and bringing him to a place where of him being restored. And so after Jesus appeared to Simon Peter, Peter goes and tells the rest of the disciples, yeah, 
He's risen from the dead. He appeared to me. Now go with me to John 21. I'm talking about the restoration of Peter. We see how Jesus took time to privately appear to Peter and then appeal to the rest of the 12. And we know there's many different appearances after that. And one of them is recorded in John chapter 21. So let's start with verse 1. It says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. And they were together, Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus, which means twin. Thomas was a twin. And Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee, which is James and John, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said unto him, I'm going fishing. And they said unto him, we're going with you. They went forth and entered into the ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. So although Jesus has been reaching out to Peter, you see here that Peter's like, you know what? I'm going back to what I knew before. I'm going fishing. And he's a leader. So they say, hey, we're going with him. And so they fish all night and they don't catch anything. When the morning was come, Jesus stood on the shore. The disciples knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus said unto them, children, have you any meat? And they said, no. And he said, cast the net on the right side of the ship and you shall find. And they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw for the multitude of fishes. Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, said unto Peter, it is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he got dressed, notably did, he got dressed, jumped into the water while everybody else still trying to bring the fish in. He's not waiting. He goes to shore to see Jesus. And as soon as they were come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid thereon and bread. Jesus said unto them, bring up the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, 153 for all there were so many and yet the net was not broken. And Jesus said unto them, come and dine. And some of the disciples, did none of the disciples did ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then comes and takes bread and gives them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than this fish? And he said unto him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, feed my lambs. And he said unto him the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said unto him, feed my sheep. He said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto you, when you were young, you gird yourself and walked where you would. But when you shall be when you shall be old, you shall stretch forth your hands, and another shall gird you and carry you where you don't want to go, or where you would not go. This spake he signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, Follow me. Then Peter turned about, seeing the disciple who Jesus loved, John, which also leaned on his breast and supper and said, Lord, which is it he that betrays you? Peter seeing him and said, Jesus, Lord, what shall this man do? Jesus said unto him, if I will that he tarry till I come, what does that matter to you? You follow me. So one of the things we see here, not even diving into all the things we can dive into for the sake of time there. Jesus restored Peter. Peter denied Jesus three times. Now Peter has confessed his love for Jesus three times. And as he's doing that, Jesus said, this is what I'm calling you to do. What is this? This is the restoration of the call. I need you to feed my lambs, my little ones. 
feed them, take care of them. I need you to feed the sheep. I need you to feed the flock of God. I need you to take care of them. First, he says, do you love me more than this business and these fish that you've given your life to? Yes, you know I love you. Okay, feed the little ones. All right, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Show your love for me by how you take care of others. What He's restoring Peter. Notice he did not talk to Peter about his sin. Notice he didn't talk to Peter about his denial. Jesus already knew it was coming. He prayed Peter through it in advance. And he says, hey, when you're back, strengthen your brothers. And we see one of the ways Peter could strengthen his brethren is by feeding them the word of God. And so as soon as Peter says again, third time, you know that I love you. He said, here's what's going to happen. And he begins to tell him about his life. And he says, at the end, they're going to martyr you. But Peter understood that. You see, in Acts, he's completely at peace. Every time he's in prison, he's sleeping. He's not worried about it. He knows what the end will be. But in the meantime, Jesus said, this is what you're called to do. And so in the meantime, between all these things, here's what you do. Follow me. Jesus never brought up his sin, his betrayal, his denial, his falling away. What did Jesus do? Restored him. Because that's what Jesus does. He restores us. That's what he wants to do for you. And others in, that are in your life, there are some of you who are thinking of people right now who need to be restored. And Jesus wants to restore them. doesn't matter what they've done, how they've fallen, or how they've fallen away, how far they're away from God right now. Jesus wants to restore them. As we close, go to Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Notice what it tells us to do. And we'll get more into this more in Jonah and Samson and other people we look at. If you consider you're spiritual, you should be out restoring people. Paying attention to yourself so you don't fall the same way. The spiritual people aren't called to be the judges of people and talk about all the faults people have and all the mistakes they made. The spiritual people or should be the should be the ones who are actively trying to restore others. And so there are people in your life that you thought of during this message. You have a job to pray for them. You have a job to manifest the love of God towards them. And you have a job of asking God, what is your part in bringing them back to Jesus so they can experience the restoration God has for them? That we have to be like Jesus, who prayed Peter through. Some people you have to pray through. Some things you can pray them through in advance or while they're going through, you pray for them and you pray them through. A lot of times you have to pray people through who don't know how to pray themselves through. It's an old, you know, Pentecostal saying of those who they kept praying for the person until they felt a note of victory on the inside. They were praying for the person and praying. So it may have been hours it may have been days and maybe weeks and months of this time praying for this person. But if they kept praying and praying until at one point they had this feeling like, I got it. It's done. And then after that, you just thank God for it. And so there are people on your heart that you need to pray for that I encourage you, if you haven't listened to Pastor Kylie's message from this past Sunday, listen to it. She shares in detail how to pray for prodigals. We have the responsibility of praying for prodigals, those who have turned away from God. We have a responsibility of praying people through. God is interested in restoring people and there are people in your lives he wants to restore. But it's your job to pray them through and be an agent of restoration. So before we close, say, I am an agent of restoration. Say it one more time. Say, I am an agent of restoration. 
if you're on Facebook or YouTube, place you can type in, say, I am an agent of restoration. Say, it is my job to pray people through. Praise God. Praise God. Before we go, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this call to restoration. I thank you for this year of restoration. I thank you for your heart wanting to restore others and restore people. So, Father, I pray that you continue to bring people to our mind in this moment and throughout this night for us to pray for, to pray them through, to pray them to a place where they can be restored and their hearts can be softened so they can make the decision to turn again. We thank you that you are abundant, overflowing, and rich in mercy. So we ask for your mercy to manifest in these lives and that you, Holy Spirit, strengthen us as we pray so we can pray these individuals through the situation they're in and to the restoration you have for us. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thanks for watching today. We hope today's message was a blessing to you that empowered you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Hey, if you want to be a part of what God's doing here at Faith, you know, our vision statement is to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. And we'd love for you to be a part. You can find out our different experience times and our different locations by going to FCCGA.com. If you want to give, you can text FCCGA to 73256. You can also go to FCCGA.com to give online and be a part of what God's doing here. We'd love to see you anytime you're in our area. We believe God has something good just for you. And anytime you come to our faith experience, we believe you will experience God and his plan for your life. So thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you next time.